Good morning, Heart of the Canyons. It's good to see you here this morning. Welcome to summer. And it came in with a blast of wind, didn't it? And uh, you know, I find when when uh, the wind arrives, the energy dissipates. You guys know that? And uh, I don't know what it is, but did you know the most powerful and energetic day in the history of the church was actually a windy day on the day of Pentecost? It came as a rushing mighty wind, and so you got here on Pentecost Sunday. You're just a week early, and uh, but. Uh, uh, I am just grateful you're here. I want to say congratulations to anyone and everyone who has graduated at any level this last few weeks. Let's say thank you to you guys. It really is. Um, I know there's been a lot of high school graduations, uh, a lot of college graduations. Uh, I don't know about any graduate school graduations yet, but uh, whatever. Uh, congratulations on, uh, on uh, your accomplishments. Uh, use what you learned, uh, which is really, I, th I tell people education is really, is, is the, the mechanism you've give, been given to learn how to learn for the rest of your life. Uh, how many of you got through college and thought you knew it all? How many of you learned within a week or so you didn't know a thing? And you had to start all over. And so, but what you did good is good tools. And so I encourage you to do those. Most importantly, use your learning tools to grow in the grace and knowledge. Jesus Christ, because I can't think of anything more important than that. And so it is, uh, I just want to say congratulate, congratulations. And just a couple of words of encouragement. Uh, as we enter into the summer, I know our children get out sometime this week or next week. Our junior high and high schoolers are already out of school. Uh, stay faithful during the summer to your church. Uh, if you're around, I understand if you want to go to the beach, go when we're done and be here, and, uh, and I, I know that's, that's a good thing to do. I encourage you to do it. I know a lot of you are going to be on vacation over the next few weeks. We're planning on taking some vacation time, so you get a break from me. No applause, please. Uh, but uh, we're going to do that, and I expect you to do that this summer. Everyone needs a vacation. Uh, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. And so uh, I encourage you to uh, make sure that you are taking some time to refresh and reflect. God built that into our weekly schedule, but our culture has pretty much learned how to forget that. So, uh, but uh, next week, we're going to begin a new series. Um, it's uh, called uh, Set Free to Live Free. And it's kind of weird because that title doesn't sound like what we're going to be studying, but it actually is. Starting next week, we're going to do a 10 or actually 11-week series through the Ten Commandments. Aren't we excited? Yeah, you guys can see some of you going, oh, great, ten weeks of legalism. No, it's not. It's uh, set free to live free. We're going to start on Father's Day next week, and our sermon title will be called Set in Stone. And if you don't know what that means, I'd encourage you to go back to Exodus 20 and read the story of how God etched the Ten Commandments in stone, and those laws were set in stone. And while we understand that we, none of us has the capacity to keep those, uh, they are still God's standard for living. And when we learn that those commandments are what God's put in our hearts as followers of Jesus, when we learn that, we actually begin to live free because it's not honoring those that creates all the bondage in our life. So it's going to be a great series. It really is. Uh, we're going to be going for 11 weeks, and uh, next Sunday is important. I know we had brunch today, and we're going to have brunch again tomorrow. We figured we'd feed them, and they will come. And so next week, uh, we're going to have brats and root beer, because it's our tradition at Heart of the Canyons to serve Dad's root beer every Father's Day, and so we're going to do that. We're going to add brats. You guys know what brats is, right? Little sausage. And so we're going to feed you uh, a good sausage, and then we'll all belch during the service. How's that? And uh, we'll, we'll sing, we'll just belt it right out. So, uh, but please come, bring your fathers, bring your families. It's the, the brats is for everyone, the root beer is for dads, okay? And so uh, anyway, but we're going to have a good time next week. And then again, 
do not forget important things coming up this summer, like VBS, which is only a week away. If you haven't, and you can help at any stage or at any time during that week, I know that they would love to hear from you. Uh, we expect somewhere between 150 and 200 kids, and I'm going on vacation. And uh, no, I'm not. I'm going to be there. But it would be awesome if you could help in any way during that week. I know Aaron would appreciate it. Some of you say, well, I work. I could work maybe this day or this day. If you can help in any way, please let us know. They'd love for you to do that. And then pray for our youth uh, as they plan for youth camp. Uh, and uh, it's coming up in just a, a few weeks. And it's a great time for our kids to get away. They're going to an island where they have no... Uh, they cannot connect on these. And so, yeah. And I know some adults who need to go with them. And um, um, so, anyway. Then last but not least, today, we don't have to tear the building down. We, we, but, but let me restate that. We've never torn the building down. <laughs> we don't have to tear down this morning at the end of the service so you can relax and enjoy... Uh, just fellowship afterwards, and if you just have this insatiable desire to pick up a chair, put it right back where you got it, and because we don't want to mess with it next week. And so uh, we are in the summer months, and there are a lot of weeks during the summer where we don't have to tear down the stage, we don't have to stare to tear down the chairs, and we are so happy. And uh, at least our, our, our setup and teardown crews are thrilled to death, and so it's good. All right, let me pray. Father, be with us this morning. We, we're going to talk about one of the most glorious events in the history of the church that is unfortunately overlooked. God, it, it's an important time for us, and I pray, God, that we would listen to what advantage we have today in advancing the powerful story of the gospel because of what we're going to look at this morning. And Father, I pray that you would help us to realize that this event, in, in many ways, is as glorious as the other events that we celebrate in the church. I want you to forgive me, because as I've looked at this week, at this subject this week, I've just been reminded at how insignificant this has really been in my life. And I pray, God, you'd help me to value what this amazing event says to us. And God, I pray that you'd help us this morning to learn from your word. What I have to say is of little importance. What your word says is of absolute importance. And so God, speak to our hearts this morning through your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We could have looked at several passages of scripture this morning, but we're going to look in Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 11 verses for you this morning. And then we're going to look at some things out of this that I think are helpful for us as individuals in knowing how to advance uh, the powerful story of the gospel. Beginning in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. I want you to circle those words, he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, one of the reasons I don't read the text of Scripture is because I tend to want to stop. And I, so I want to stop here for just a moment and just remind you that this is Luke's second book. He, it is not his first book. Anybody know the name of Luke's first book? <laughs> it's Luke, if you didn't know, okay? And so he wrote Luke, and now he's coming along to give us a history of the early church, a powerful history of the church. And then he goes on to say, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know, notice that, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heavens, as he went, behold, two men stood beside them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven? As this Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven." You know, this week, as I, uh, as I looked at the whole concept of the ascension of Christ, it just dawned on me that this is the one major event in Jesus' life that we as Protestants tend to overlook. I mean, we celebrate the birth of Christ, don't we? We call it what? Christmas. We celebrate Good Friday, where we recognize his death. That's a big thing in our culture and in our world. We recognize the resurrection of Christ. I mean, we, we celebrate it on, on a day every year called Easter, and we celebrate the, 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 the resurrection of Christ. And over the last several weeks, we've been looking at different places where Jesus appears to his followers, his disciples, between that time and the time we're going to look at this morning. <clears throat> it's a time we call the ascension of Christ. The ascension of Christ. And to be honest with you, if, if, if I'm honest with myself, I, as I looked at this this week, I don't know that I've ever stopped and thought, what is the significance of this event in the lifestyle or in the story of Christ, and why is this event significant in my life? Because honestly, if we are honest, it is actually one of the most powerful moments in the history of the world. But we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. And so thinking about that this week, I just sort of went back and said, okay, what do theologians, smart people, what does history tell us about the significance of this event that somehow we've really not paid attention to? Why is this day important in the life and in the history of biblical Christianity? Well, I find, found some things. I found one writer, and he, he gave seven reasons why this matters. And you say, oh, no, Jim's going to give us seven reasons and then three points. We're going to be here. Believe me, there's food out there. If you get hungry, go get some, okay? But uh, it won't take that long. I just want to touch on these because these really meant a lot to me as I thought through the significance of this event uh, over these last few days. The first thing that I see in this passage of Scripture, this day is important because it's really the final teaching of Jesus before he ascends to be with the Father. It's the final teaching of Jesus before he ascends to be with the Father. Now, I don't know about you, but probably if God allows me to be with my Father when God chooses to take him home, the last words I hear from him will be the most important words I hear from him. They'll be very important. And I'm sure that the apostles would remember so many things. We know they remember so many things that Jesus taught them while he was alive. But I just have a feeling that in their hearts, they just could not get beyond these last instructions of Jesus before he ascends to be with the Father. The second thing is that it... Uh, it sort of gives us a conclusion to the finished work of Christ on this earth in his humanity. It's sort of the conclusion of that. It doesn't mean it's the last work of Jesus, but it's the last work of Jesus on the face of this earth. I mean, this is uh, sort of the conclusion of the redemptive plan of God. Jesus is sort of summing it all up here. Number three, it proves even deeper Jesus' deity and his authority. It's important. I mean, we all know that Jesus was human, but guys, remember something. He was fully human, but he was fully God. When Jesus ascends to the Father, he's reunited with the Godhead. And it affirms that he is God. He is God. And as God, he has full authority over all of the events of human history. 
Because when he ascends with the Father, he again seated at the right hand of God. Number four, it is actually the fulfillment of prophecy. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. When you go back and study some of the early church fathers, they believe that this event is the fulfillment of Psalms 24. Psalms 24, verses 7 through 10. Let me read it to you. He says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Now, many prophetic people believe that this passage of Scripture is actually talking about this particular event. Jesus finishes the work of heaven... And he's lifted up. And the king of glory returns. So much so the angel says, who is this king of glory? Who is this man? The angelic. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Psalm 68, 16 says the true Messiah will ascend into the heavens. Number five, it marked the beginning of Jesus' heavenly reign. And what is Jesus doing right now? You tell me. He's reigning from heaven. That doesn't, that's not R-A-I-N. It's R-E-I-G-N. He is reigning from heaven right now. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the God the Father, and he is there making intercession for us. He is our high priest. He is prophet. He is priest. He is king. And right this very moment, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and he has assumed the role of his heavenly reign over the events of our world, more importantly, over the history and direction of the church. Number six, it gave great hope. It gave them great hope. See, Jesus uh, ascended to be with the Father in bodily form. When we go to heaven one day, we will be in heaven with bodily form. I believe that. Not this particular form. I hope not. But we'll have perfected bodies. We receive, according to 1 Corinthians 15, when Jesus comes again, that which is perishable, will become imperishable, and that which is mortal will become immortal. And it's important for us to know that, look, this is not the end. There's hope. And of all the people in the world who ought to live with hope today, it's followers of Jesus Christ. We have hope. Why? Because this is not the end of the story. Please hear this. When you read the story of the Bible... Unlike most stories where you have a beginning, a middle, and an end, in our story, you have a recorded beginning, but we have a God who pre-exists that, but we have a beginning, there is a middle, there's a lot of things that happen in the middle, but in the Bible, there actually is no end. In fact, if you were to look at the Bible, the story of the Bible is not beginning, middle, and end, the story of the Bible is beginning, middle, and new beginning. Because the Bible says that at the end of time, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, for the former things have passed away. They pass away, guys. All of this garbage we deal with today will pass away. Every bit of it will be gone. And it brings enormous hope into the lives of believers. Imagine what this would mean to those early believers as they faced the persecution and adversity they faced in the first years of the establishment of the church. Imagine what it means today to people who literally are giving their life for the sake of the gospel in other parts of our world. Do you know, and I think I shared this with you last week and maybe the week before, if you don't remember, you should listen Do you know that in the last month, over 2,000 Christians 
have been executed because they refuse to not renounce their faith? You think that this story doesn't mean something to them? And it brings hope, even in the midst of adversity. Number seven, and this is important, it marked the beginning of a new chapter for believers in God. A new chapter for believers in God. It sort of paved the way for a new chapter because now you see the emergence of this thing called the church. The church. The called out ones. The ecclesia. And it marks the beginning of a new era for those who follow after God, particularly those who identify themselves as Christian. And the truth is, what we understand in the story is that the story keeps on going. The story didn't end with the death and burial and resurrection, the ascension of Christ. The story keeps on going. And the truth is, what God does by ascending to be with the Father and in a few days sending the Holy Spirit to us is God empowers us to continue His work in the world in redeeming the world. And here's a cool thing. God didn't just save me so I can go to heaven when I die. I mean, I, I'm okay with that. But that's not why he saved me. God didn't save you so you could go to heaven when you die. He didn't just save you just so you could go to church. He saved you because he is bringing you into his redemptive plan in history. And in the first chapter of Acts, we read how you and I can be a part of advancing the story. Because our job is to advance the story. Now, I want to ask you a question. Are you really doing that? I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm glad you do. I'm glad you're here this morning. I really am. But we say at the end of our service, we've been the church in here. We go to be the church out there. Who were you the church to this week? And I'm not talking about just your small group. Where were you the church in the place you work? Were you the church in the place you shop or the place you play or wherever it may be? Were you advancing the story wherever it was that God took you in the course of the last week? And I think the greater question is will we leave here in just a little while saying, God, use us to advance your story out there. Because really, that's what this is all about. It's really all about those things. And he gives us some ideas in this passage. I could probably give you a bunch, but because I'm me, I'm going to give you three or four. In fact, I'm just going to give you three. And we're going to look at three secrets that I think are helpful in helping us understand how we now advance the story of the gospel in the day and time in which we live. The first thing that I think you'll see in this passage is if we're going to advance the story, the first thing we've got to do is we've got to walk in the power that illuminates the story. We've got to walk in the power that illuminates the story. Now, I love the gospel. I love the story of the gospel. The story of the gospel is really valuable to me. But let me tell you why I believe the story of the gospel is more than just a story. It's because behind the story of the gospel is what we call the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is what causes the gospel to come alive. And you know, I, I've been around people many, many times in my life where they've heard the story, they've heard the story, they've just heard the words of the story, but the story didn't really make any difference in their life. And you see, when Jesus began this, the Bible says that, uh, that he told them, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you're... You're, you're overcome with power from high, and then you're to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. You see, you and I have not been called to do for God what he could not do for himself. We've been called to be empowered by God to do what we could never do in and of ourselves. How many of you have ever tried to do something for God, but you didn't include God in your plans? You ever done that? 
How's that working for you? Doesn't work, does it? And guys, if anybody knows that, I do. And particularly in a day in which we live, I can guarantee you right now, and I haven't even looked this morning, but if I looked in my internet box this morning, here it is, here it is, I could show you on here, uh, opportunity after opportunity. There's, there's 10 things that have come in this morning telling me, you can go to this podcast, you can go to this online seminar, and we'll give you 10 ways to grow your church. Guarantee you. I can look down through here. I got one yesterday. Looked pretty good. And you know what? The truth is, those may be some very powerful things. Those may be some things that would be helpful for me. But here's one thing I've learned in and of myself over the last years. I've learned that to, to plan for God and not, not invite God into the process of what you're doing is really just a waste of time. I, I, look, here's what I can tell you. I, and, and I really believe this. It's pretty easy to, 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 to grow a crowd. You know, I, I heard, uh, uh, I heard a, a great preacher one time say that in our day and time, he was convinced, it was Francis Chan, he said, I'm convinced that if, if you give me a great band and a sad story, I can grow a big church. But Rick Warren says these words, the call of God was not to grow a big church. You can draw a crowd, but only God can build a church. In fact, that's what he said to Peter, wasn't it? In fact, the only time, really, one of the only times Jesus even mentioned the word church was at the great confession. And Peter said, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. And what did Jesus say to him? So thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. I will build my church. What does that say? It says we don't have to build the church. We have to cooperate with God in what he's doing. But we don't have to build the church. He says, I will build my church. You know why I think we mess up times? We are busy building our church. Instead of realizing, God says, I will build my church. Now, I really believe that this was a, a, something that the disciples had to learn. And I think they learned it on the day of the ascension in some ways. You know, up until now, I just, I've studied this text, and in my theology and my tradition beliefs, I, I always thought that when they left, they went back to, to Jerusalem. They went into the upper room and then they just sat in there and fasted and prayed for about 10 days until Pentecost came. That's kind of what I thought. You imagine not eating for 10 days? You know? I know people have done that. I tell people, I think fasting, actually my brother-in-law believes that that was a scribal error because the only difference between fasting and feasting is an E. And I don't know about you, my prayer life seems to be better with my belly full. <laughs> but that's what I thought. But you know, I got to looking at, Jew, at Luke's other record of this in Luke chapter 24. Listen to what it says. And it says in the same one, he led them out as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands. He blessed them, which is the ironic blessing, by the way. If you go back in the Old Testament, it's the ironic blessing. Was, he, was, he was fulfilling the ironic blessing. And while he blessed them... He parted from them and was carried into heaven. Now, what do you think they might have felt at that point? What do you think they felt? What would you feel? Well, listen to the next verses. It says, and as they worshipped him, which says they believed he was God, because you don't worship anything but God, right? As they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great what? Do you ever stop and think that when they left the, 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 the event we call the Ascension... They went back to Jerusalem with joy. That's kind of weird. I mean, when I die, you know, I'm going to be a little upset if I look down and you guys are having a party. <laughs> I mean, I tell people when I die, I hope somebody cries. Oh. But the Bible says they went back with great joy. And then what, notice what it says. And it doesn't say they hid. 
That's what they were doing before now. They went by with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. They were continually in the temple blessing God. Now, now get this. Jesus blesses them. and They became a blessing to God in return. Here's why I think this matters. Because I believe that the moment these men realized that Jesus was alive, and they really, really realized it. I think it took more than one shot to, to, for them to really believe. I mean, I think they believed, but I think they were... I mean, that's why I think Jesus appeared several times over these 40 days. But now they're deeply convinced. I think there's now joy in their heart because of what we said a few minutes ago, because the ascension of Christ brought them great hope. It brought them great hope. And I think to some degree at that moment, these men now begin to walk in the power of their beliefs. They believed in the resurrection so much that they were willing to go back into the very place where Jesus had been sentenced to death and bless their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in a public way. You see, here's what I know. I know that you've experienced the power of God in your life when you quit hiding it. It's when you quit hiding it. And so, man, we advance the story when we walk in the power that illuminates the story. Number two, when we witness the primary person that is the story. We, 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 we witness to the primary person that is the story. In other words, we need the Holy Spirit to get us beyond it being all about us. Notice Jesus says, you will be witnesses unto whom? Who does he say? You'll be witness unto me, not me. But Jesus says, look, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be witnesses unto me. You know, in the, in the human heart, let's just be real honest. In the human heart, there's always this insatiable desire to be noticed and to be recognized. And there's also this insatiable need in us to elevate human beings beyond where they should be elevated. So what do we do? We end up building churches on personalities. We build churches on theological systems, and I'm not against those. I believe those. And more importantly, we build them on the people who establish the systems rather than the church really focusing its attention on Jesus. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talked about how this was happening in the church. And, and here's what he says. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, <laughs> that's a dream, that there be no divisions among you and that you be united in the same mind and the same judgments. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you. My brothers, what I mean is this, that one of you says, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? You know what he's saying to us in this passage? He's going right back to what Jesus said in this passage. You'll be witnesses unto me. Unto me. You see, I see this a lot in the church today. I see it in the church world today. Today, we wouldn't use these names. I'm of Paul, and I'm of Paulus, I'm of Cephas. We've used names like this. I'm of Calvin. That's not the cartoon character. I'm of Joseph Arminian. I'm of Jim Ryan. Don't you ever do that. And we could, I, I could give you a litany of names. I, I really could. I'm of Rick Warren. I'm of John MacArthur. 
I'm of, just name the list. Now, there's nothing wrong with those people. I'm not talking about that. There, there, there's some wonderful things that come out of these people, but please hear me. Not one of those names could die for you. And to be honest with you, I'm weary. I'm really weary some of the segmentation that happens in our churches. And when you talk to people about things, so many times they don't quote their Bible, they quote some theologian. Now, I'm not against quoting great theologians. I I, I believe in that, but please hear me. The purpose of the church is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. He says, be witnesses unto me. And sometimes, if I'm honest, I think the, the, the schism and the division and the debate that goes on in the church hides what people need most, and that's they need Jesus. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying you shouldn't study theology. I think you should. You ought to prepare your mind to give answer to anyone who asks about the hope that's in you. I challenge you to read and study. We're going through a book right now. A a, a biblical doctrines book right now. And I'm not sure we've created as much clarity as we have confusion. But the reality is people are thinking. You ought to think. Your faith is more than just very shallow, simple stuff. But please hear me, in the end of the day, if you come out saying you're something other than a follower of Jesus, you missed their point. You missed their point. Why? Because the purpose of the church is to testify to the person of Jesus Christ. Please hear me this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ. Please please hear me. I, I hope We've not offended you by what we've done around here. I, I, I don't do that. But at the end of the day, when you walk out that door, I, I, I could care. I mean, I hope I can meet you. I'd love to know you, but I could care less if you know me. I care that you know the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what I care about. Can I tell you something? I will guarantee you this. Not one of you is ever going to stand before God one day and him, him say to you, you did know Jim, didn't you? That would be weird, wouldn't it? I can guarantee you one thing. It's going to matter that you know Jesus. And Jesus told him, you're to be witnesses unto me. So witness of the primary person that is the story, because the story is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And then third, work to expand the purpose of the story. Here's God's plan, and it's always been God's plan. I don't understand why this is God's plan, but it's always been God's plan, and here's the plan. You ready? You getting sick of the plan? Here's the plan. The plan is God uses people to represent himself in the world. Now, I don't know why he does that. I do know why he does that. But I don't know why he does that. I know why he does it, because he could have just created something perfect. But instead, God chose to use imperfect people like me and like you. And here's why I think it makes a difference. Because when we're honest about our imperfection, nobody has greater impact in the world than imperfect people who are being perfected by Jesus. You know why a lot of people don't come to church? You know why a lot of people out, you know why a lot of people out there don't come into the church in here? It's because they don't feel they're good enough. Well, if good enough is the reason we come to church, you think we should meet next week? <laughs> My daddy My daddy taught me a long time ago. He said, Jimmy, remember this. The church is a hospital for sinners. It is not a showcase for saints. And I'm grateful for that. And here's God's plan. God uses imperfect people just like you and I to make a difference in our world. Read the Bible and show me where any person 
who made a difference in a world was perfect other than Jesus. And you won't find them. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Mark 16, 15, Mark said it this way, and he said to them, go into all the world to proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Luke 24, he said unto them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead. The repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power on high. And then he says, and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Can you imagine what they thought? What would you think if I stood up this? Okay, let me sit down and talk to you. I'm going to sit down and talk to you because sitting is a, I mean it. Okay. <laughs> what, would I, what would you think if I said to you, okay, here's my goal. I'm your pastor and this is our goal. In the next three years, we're going to share the gospel with every person in Santa Cruz Valley. Just like you're looking at me right now. Well, what do you think they felt? You're going to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. If they were Western Christians, here's what they would be going. Yeah, right. And you know what? They would be exactly correct if Jesus hadn't said the first thing first. Because he didn't say, you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and uttermost parts of the earth first. What he said is, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost. You know the only reason? The only reason we could not accomplish sharing the gospel with every person in the Santa Cruz Valley over the next three years, the only reason we couldn't do that is because we are not operating under the power of the Holy Spirit. If that's what God told us to do, and I'm not telling you he did, I wish he would, but I can tell you this. If Jesus said to them, you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, you mark my word under the power of the Holy Spirit, that is exactly what they would do. And it had nothing to do with them except for the fact that they made themselves available to the Holy Spirit, and God used them in ways they couldn't even begin to imagine. What would happen? Because actually, there weren't just 12 there that day. There were 120 there that day. It's about this size of crowd. A little smaller. So we're bigger than the first church. What would happen if 120 people in this room said, okay, I know Jesus, but I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to do more than just inform my mind. I'm going to allow him to empower my life and I'm going to go out, and under the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to be a witness unto Jesus. I can tell you this. I really believe this. We would find that if we did that, we would see fruit. Not everybody would get saved. Not everybody got saved in Jerusalem. Not everybody got saved in all of Judea. Not everybody got saved in Samaria. Not everybody got saved in the uttermost parts of the earth. But I guarantee every person who ever got saved got saved because they were, they were touched by the Holy Spirit who was using just a, an imperfect knucklehead like me to make a difference in the world. You know why we don't do that? Because we're afraid of it. And I say we're because that's I mean, what would he ask me to do? 
I know what he's asked us to do. And here's what he asked us to do. He's asked us to be a part of the continuation of an epic story. A story that does not end. And he calls every one of us to make a difference. So what will you do? We've been to church in here today. We even had a meal together. There's still some left out there. You guys hungry? We've been to church in here. Will we, will we be the church out there? You know, we talk about the five purposes of the church, and I close with this. You guys know what they are. They're worship, fellowship, evangelism, ministry, and discipleship. Those are the five purposes that we espouse at Heart of the Canyons. We, we, we base it on the great commandment, the great commission. Love God with all your heart and all mind, soul, strength. That's, that's worship. Love your neighbors yourself. That's ministry. Go make disciples. I believe that's evangelism. Teach them to observe everything. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I believe that's fellowship because that's where we all identify that we're saved in the same way. And then teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. And Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, it's interesting to me, and I've, I've talked about this many, many times at Heart of the Kings Church. When you look at the five purposes of the church, four of those... I believe, go to heaven with us. Four of them do. I believe in heaven, we're going to worship. And it's going to be loud like you cannot believe. Some of you are not laughing. I've been getting your looks. I know what you're thinking right now. It's my, it's my time to engage a little. It's going to be worship. I believe there's going to be a ministry in heaven. That's not going to be ministry because things are broken. That's the basis of much of our ministry. But I believe that we're going to serve one another in heaven. Don't you? I really believe that. I believe when we get to heaven, there's going to be fellowship. We're going to sit around a banqueting table. You talk about a meal, son, and it is not potluck. It's pot perfect. I mean, it just, there's no luck in it, man. And I believe there's going to be discipleship. You know, I don't think you're ever going to be as smart as God. Not a one of us in this room will ever know about, used to know about God. I think we're going to learn in heaven. See, if you have the view of heaven that we're all going to be sitting around on clouds playing harps, that would be hell to me. Can I tell you what we won't do in heaven, though? We will never, ever again tell anybody who doesn't know about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Why is it, and I close with this, why is it that we spend so much time and energy in our churches on these four that we're going to do in heaven, but we don't give any time and energy to the last one? The one we'll never get to do again. Now I think if we did these better, this one might do better. But I can tell you folks, I really believe that the primary purpose of the church is to go into all the world and proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ is alive. And right now, He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. He ascended to be there. And he's given us the privilege of making that news known to the whole world. It's summer. And summer is the time off, right? Not from the gospel. 
We've been the church in here. Let's be the church out there. Father, thank you for your grace. Father, I know these are not easy words because they are not natural to us. But God, they, they are natural to us when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. In fact, the normal Christian life is when we are witnessing in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. God, I pray that this week we would value the fact that you ascended to be with the Father so just a few days later you could send to us the presence of the Holy Spirit that would empower us to love and live and serve and share. God, we don't have to do that alone. I didn't have to stand up here by myself this morning. And God, I've done that before. I've stood in this place. And I've done it in the power of my flesh. But God, I thank you that I don't have to do that. I thank you that when, when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, that the Word of God is alive and it's powerful and it's it's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And God, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit has taken this word and it's, it's just affirmed us on one side and it's cut us deep on the other. God, I pray that we will allow your word to make us different. We leave here committed to following you. Father, I, I just close this prayer in my heart just believing that maybe there's someone here today who's just empty on the inside. Somehow, God, your Holy Spirit has spoken to their heart to say to them, I love you, and I came into this world so you don't have to be empty. But I want to, clean, I want to, I want to feel a clean heart. And it's not going to be clean because we leave here and clean it up ourselves. It's going to be clean because we've trusted in the finished work of Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. God, now you just wait for people who by faith will open their hearts and their minds and their mouths and confess you as Lord. God, the minute they honestly give their life to you, your Holy Spirit comes to fill the voids that exist in their hearts. So God, I pray this morning if there's anyone here today if they're honest, they're empty. God, right now, I pray that in the quietness of their heart, they just might say, God, forgive me for my sin. I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to come into my life. I believe in your death. I believe in your burial. I believe in your resurrection. And I believe you want to be a part of my life. And as much as I know how right now, I give my life to you. So God, just speak to anyone's heart here today. We might need Christ. We love you. We thank you.